figure out a little bit of how big and wonderful and gracious God is, we're going to come to times in our life and times in the scriptures where we just don't understand all that's going on. It just doesn't seem to make sense to us. In Saul's story, we can clearly see that obedience is a big deal to God. And one of the scary things, and especially even in the groups I met with this last week, we were talking a little bit about last week's message, and the thing that guys kept bringing up was, you know, partial obedience isn't partially obedient. In other words, partial obedience is disobedience. In spite of Saul's good intentions, he chose to act in a way he thought was best, not what God thought was best. In fact, he literally said, God's way doesn't seem as wise as mine. When that comes out, we kind of bristle a little bit and maybe even just say, you know what? The truth is, I would never say anything like that to God. But realistically, everyone who is a son or a daughter of God, when they disobey, when I disobey, I am literally saying, you know what? God's way doesn't seem as wise to me. I'm going to do it mine. Now, last week, we saw that Saul's story showed us that disobedience is an offense to God, that disobedience shows lack of faith in God, and that disobedience hurts Saul and those around him. Saul's story showed us that sin is heinous. It's usually not the adverb associated with sin. But sin is heinous and something that ought to be mourned. Saul's action made God and Samuel sad. His sin disturbed them both. Saul's story ushers us into David's story and helps us understand why David was honored, why David was given a title, a man after God's own heart. All of us sin, and we're going to see at times as we go into this study where David just appalls us. But the difference between David and Saul is what happens after we sin. And that makes all the difference. So before we go into our text today, let's pray. Father, we are grateful We are grateful for your word. We are grateful for song. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together. We are grateful, God, for the way that you work in us and through us. We're overwhelmed by your grace. God, we pray for your church, your church that is scattered all over the world, your church meeting in all different kinds of places. But we know, Lord, that Your kids gather to sing praises and to worship and to pray and to hear from you. 
And you equip us in order to be salt and light in all the different places that we go. We pray that happens, God. We pray wherever your people are gathering, that they would leave inspired and convicted. And that your kingdom would come. We pray, dear Father, for the churches in our area. Specifically, Lord, we name a few. We pray for Life Spring, and we pray for new hope, and we pray for redemption. We ask you, God, especially in these congregations, that you would equip the saints, encourage them, strengthen them, and send them out, that they would be salt and light. We pray, Father, for this church. So many things kicked off last week. So many plans to even continue as this next week and next few weeks. We pray for the leaders. We pray for the volunteers. We pray, dear God, for, for all those who attend, those who are part of this church and not part of this church. We pray even now, Father, for all of the teachers who are downstairs encouraging our kids, strengthening them, sharing with them good news. We pray, Father, they would hear from you and they would be transformed because of your spirit and its working. We pray, Father, for this message. We would ask that you would use this instrument. We pray, Lord, that I would not be distracting and and that you would clearly proclaim your word in a way that we can understand it. I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. Your word changes us. Your word transforms us. It is such an honor to pick up the very words of God and to read them and to listen. So we dedicate these next few minutes to you, Father, And are grateful for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, an intimate relationship with God gives us the right perspective of God and also gives us the right perspective of sin. Fireworks ought to go off and red flags ought to wave whenever any one of God's kids become casual towards sin. Maybe put sin in categories. Maybe say, well, you know what? If I disobey here, it's not really that bad. You see, the more time we spend with God, the more we see the world as God sees it. We just saw this when both God and Samuel were sad about Saul's sin. It's so encouraging to be able to understand, hey, hey, God was sad that he made Saul king. But ultimately, when the throne was taken away and the spirit left, and Samuel, the man of God, he knew what was best. He knew that Saul wasn't listening. He understood that, and he mourned, as we're going to find out, for days and days and days. That's why the up relationship is so critical. We've been focusing on this, well, since the beginning of this season. This up relationship with God is something that we all want to grow in. 
Because it affects our in-relationship, our relationship with those inside these walls, and our out-relationship with people outside these walls, our neighbors. Well, the up-relationship always begins by faith. It, it always begins recognizing that someone is sinful. And someone is separated from God. And that Jesus loved us so much, he spread his arms. He shed his blood. And he paid the debt for each one of our sins. (laughs) How amazing is that? We separated. God says, I care. And I want you to be part of my family. So anyone who receives Christ as Savior has the power to become the ability, a son or a daughter of God. And this up relationship, once it's started, continues by faith as we listen, as we walk with God. Well, David walked with God And that made all the difference in the world. In fact, what we're going to see, this lowly and lonely shepherd. God used this job, this task, to actually set David up well. So hopefully by now, you found 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you haven't, literally, we are going to put it on the screen today. But if you have your Bibles or flat screens, I encourage you to open 1 Samuel 16. And Alicia is going to read the first 13 verses for us. Let's listen. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. 
And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. The message to Samuel is, you've mourned enough. I have rejected Saul. Oh. As I said, every time we open up the scriptures, we get a glimpse of who God is. And and this sounds like harsh God. This sounds like, come on, how how come you don't run after Saul? Uh, God, I, I thought you loved people. But what we do know is that Saul had every opportunity to respond. God gave him that opportunity, and he didn't respond. Things didn't work out. Saul is not humble. And as we saw last week, is that he did not repent. And really, no change is going to happen unless repentance happens. Because real repentance requires humility. Real repentance requires you to own and to make changes. Now let's move forward. Let's move on. Saul will live with his consequences. You know, do you see the truth here? God will, in his timing and in his way, move on from the disobedient folks who constantly choose not to repent. They got my attention as I studied this week. I think it's really critical for leadership to understand this, that there are times you move away from people who are unresponsive, choosing to go their own way, not listening to God, choosing disobedience. And it's also sad for the, repent, for the unrepentant. I, I look at this. And sometimes we play games with God. And say, well, eventually I'll confess this. this and hey, God, you know what, God? I want to live my own way. There's a time and there's a place when God says, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Whoa. That moves you. He said, go to Bethlehem and find Jesse. The next king is one of Jesse's sons, and I will show you which one to anoint. You see, God sees the heart even at a young age, and we will soon see that even though Samuel walked with God, Samuel was not connected well with God at this moment. He didn't understand all that God was saying. God gives directions to Samuel, but not specifics. He didn't tell what the name was at this time. He just said, hey, you go, you find Jesse. This is often God's pattern. Walk with God and listen to him. The general principles of Scripture guide us, and the Spirit prompts us, and listening is critical. Uh, Let me say that last part again, because so many of us understand how important this book is, and so many of us understand how 
this guides us and directs us. And we do our devotions or we read our scriptures and we kind of flop it and put it down. One of the things that's critical is for us to hear, is to listen, is to do the reading and be quiet and let God convict or encourage or strengthen. God knew that Samuel was afraid. His plan, hey, you are going to sacrifice or to worship, technically, without going into all the sacrificial kinds of things that happen in the Old Testament. What I want you to do, those purify yourself and purify others. You're going to meet with me. You're going to adore me. You are going to worship me. And I want to make sure you're clean. I want to make sure you're pure. That would be a time of confessing our sin in today's time. Back in this time, there would be an animal that would need to be slaughtered. And the blood would temporarily uh, cover over our sins. And you would again be able to connect with God. So Samuel's given this assignment. You're going to be worshiping. Make sure you're pure. When you come before me, make sure you confess your sin. Make sure your sins are covered in this case. You're going to lead. I want to make sure that you're pure. And there's going to be participants. Jesse and his family, make sure that they're pure. Have them all go through these rites. You know what's interesting is I heard this and God is telling us that our worship oftentimes will open my ears to his voice. As I open the word, as I praise, I need to come pure. I need to confess. One of the things, whenever you open up the book, whenever you listen to a message, whenever you come to the celebration time, it almost should be very normal and natural, but it's, Father... It's almost the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me. Lord, is there anything? Am I holding any grudges? Do I need to forgive somebody? Is there something that I need to deal with? Because God, I want to hear from you. I want to worship you. I want this experience to be an unbelievable experience. God set that up and said, hey, let's make sure you are pure. Well, as we read, soon the family is gathered, and Eliab comes strutting out, and Samuel's going, oh, yeah, this guy is looking good. Like, this looks like a king, and very interesting, our natural bent, our natural bent is to look for someone with looks, talent, position, experience, and maturity. Samuel gasped. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Uh, I can just tell this is who God wants. But he didn't have God's criteria. You see, often God chooses the least quiet so he can receive all the glory. Now, some who are sitting or listening who are multi-talented people may not like this, but most of us normal folk, we get excited that God takes ordinary jars of clay 
like you and me and fills us with his spirit and enables us to serve and to make an impact and to do his mission. It's kind of exciting. Uh, You see, God was telling Samuel, don't judge the way your culture judges. In fact, you would have thought, Samuel, you know, this just happened. They picked Saul, a man head and shoulders above everybody. He stuck out. And it didn't go very well. The Lord looks at the heart. And I love how direct God is in Isaiah. Some of you have been around because as church leadership, we've been focusing on Isaiah 66, 2, where God says this, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. Folks who are humble, folks who are not focusing on themselves, folks who are serving Others, folks who are others focused. The very definition of humility is found in Philippians 2 when the Apostle Paul, which we actually talked about weeks ago, uses Jesus as the example who voluntarily put aside his honor in order to serve and to love. Also says, folks who are contrite, who have contrite hearts, those who see sin the way it is, so those who confess their sin, those who realize how heinous sin is, and that we're not going to be casual. So God says, I'm going to bless those who are humble, those that focus on others, not on yourself, those that have a correct view of what sin is. There's repentance. There's confession. There's a cleansing. It is important. It is a passionate time. And lastly, I'm going to bless those who tremble at my word, who not only read this word, but know that this is the very words of God and and, and tremble because they respect it and want to obey it and recognize that this is food. In life. <laughs> we use this text in our training. I asked all of those who would be serving in our ministries this year to come out on a Wednesday. And, and we spent time walking through this verse and focusing on what humility was and what a contrite heart is and what trembling at God's word is. We feel as leadership here, those are the kind of leaders we want serving downstairs and serving on a Wednesday and serving on a Monday and leading a Bible study. Not perfect leaders, but leaders who are humble and contrite and tremble. And I know not all of you are leaders or serving in our church, but if you'd like the link, we can get that to you. Just let us know of that teaching. All of our other 
uh, folks who are volunteering have that link already. But if you want it, let me know. Let me talk just a moment about Stan Tillman. (laughs) You don't know Stan Tillman because Stan Tillman really isn't his name. How about that? But Stan Tillman, wow. He was one of the guys in a high school ministry where I was a youth pastor. And, And Stan actually loved God. But Stan... He wasn't as funny as the rest of the guys, and he wasn't as talented as the rest of the guys, and, and sometimes he, well, was a little bit of a loner. But over time, he just, he said, you know, Rick, I want to be a youth pastor. And in my pathetic perspective, go, oh, youth pastor? Are, are you serious? You, you Stan? <laughs> I, I, I don't... I'm not sure you got the right stuff. But you know what? Stan had the right stuff. His heart was amazing. And he got more and more in love with God. And he went to school. And no kidding, about 30 years later, Stan is still a youth pastor making an impact in a church. I, I, I look back at that. I felt a little bit like Samuel. Like, okay, I'm, I'm looking at, God, what about his heart? In fact, I'm embarrassed on how I chose leaders at times when I was a leader back in the earlier years. You know, honestly, I want to be a man after God's own heart. And I want to serve together with folks who are humble and contrite and tremble. Now back to our story, Samuel. He's going through the boys. Okay, well, if it's not Eliab, let's bring the next guy in. Whoa, he looks good. God says no. Next, no. Next, no. Next, no. Next, no. No more. Whoa. <laughs> well, hey, Jesse, um, God says we're getting a king from your sons and we're all done. Is there anyone else? And, and Jesse maybe hems and haws and says, well, well yes, the, the youngest. And what's so interesting is that the Hebrew word that is used to describe David right now is actually, if I were to translate it, I'd say the runt. The runt. Now, all of you know probably about litters and and how you have a litter of cats. I, I don't know if that's right. Or a litter of dogs or a bunch of animals that are born. Okay? And sometimes you can just look and there's a runt. And if you don't take care of that runt really fast, that runt kind of gets neglected and, and dies. All right? And this is the picture I get of David. Well, you know what? Yes, I didn't even invite him. I don't sense that he really would be an important guy. He's out there watching the sheep. I brought all the guys that I thought would be important. Wow. Well, they wait for David, and David arrives, and David gets a thumbs up from God. He's described as handsome with beautiful eyes. But he had God's heart. 
David sticks out among his brothers. Uh, the same family, the same sinner, but, but something was different. As mentioned before, I believe his lowly, lonely shepherding pose prepared him for the future. He was a young man that had to take some responsibility. Actually, at least in this culture, oh, just the person of least reputation would take it. That had to be a little bit humiliating. But, but as we know and as we read the Psalms and as we see David's journey, we see that he had time to grow in his faith. He learned about God even as a young man. There were times, and you can read the Psalms, of praise and times where he pours out his heart in praise. There's times that he was able to develop life skills. He was a musician. He was really good at slinging. I'm not sure that's a verb, but we're going to use it. Slinging. He was good at singing. He, he was good at killing lions and bears. All right, while he was watching the sheep. And you know what else? He had time to learn about sheep. That's what God calls all of us. Sheep. Sheep. And, and sheep weren't that sharp and sheep needed a shepherd. And if the shepherd didn't do their part, sheep would wander, sheep would die, sheep would get infested with, with disease. It, it would be a very bad situation. And David saw that. And I think he was able to relate to God his Father when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Man, I've been spending years out here with these guys. They need me. They really need me. These sheep are not going to survive. If they listen to me, though, they're going to be fat sheep. They're going to be happy sheep. They're going to be satisfied sheep. Whoa, baby, they're going to like this. And I think David understood that. In Psalm 78, verses 71 and 72, um, the scripture says this, God took David from tending the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. David learned a lot while he was in this lowly, humble position. I, I think David's relationship with God changes perspective and leadership. We're going to find out in the chapters to come. How come David could? And you fill in the blank. Because he had a great relationship with God. He knew God. He loved God. God was different to him than to his brother's. Now, the scriptures say that David was anointed and given the spirit, and Samuel returns home, and like, really, this is it? This is all we have? Like, okay, we're done? No advice given. No instructions offered. Samuel just leaves. How did the brothers feel? I mean, the runt was in here, and he was the one anointed. What happens next? No one knows, but my guess is, maybe even that day, back to the flocks. 
Well, wait, you're the next king of Israel, aren't you? Well, yeah, but I'm a shepherd, and I guess I'm going to trust God for his timing. I'm going to listen to God. Apparently, right now, I'm back out watching sheep. You see, David had the spirit. David was anointed by God, and he would now trust God for his timing and plans. It's going to be an unbelievable ride in these next few chapters on how God influences David, and David listens to God, and how, God, how David trusts God. If you turn to 1 Samuel back there, starting in verse 14, let me read some. Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, Hey, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man, and, and here it is, underline this, highlight it, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd. <laughs> Is, uh, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, please let David remain in my service for I'm very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Would go away. This kind of a sad passage. The spirit actually leaves Saul. We chatted just a little bit and and not again going to spend a lot of time. But one of the blessings of of coming into God's family after the cross is that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus and trusts him as their savior has the gift of the Holy Spirit come upon them and lives in you in the Old Testament before the cross. The spirit was active. The spirit did the same thing in certain people for a certain time, for certain missions. Well, Saul had been given the spirit, but the scriptures say it was taken away. Your disobedience. You're not listening. Oh, wow. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's grace to his kids. We see an ugly picture here. Saul living life apart from God, trying to find peace. The only thing every once in a while would be a good harp song. (laughs) I don't know what kind of music you guys enjoy, but you put it in there. You know, the thing, how can I escape? How How can I handle life? 
Well, well, maybe David playing the harp. Now, let's remind you again that David had the spirit at this time. And David had peace. God was the one supernaturally who arranged this. And God was the one that allowed David to come into the court of Saul. And David started learning. How cool is this? About the palace. About life as a king. All these different things. In fact, I see it this way. It's interesting. David serves the king while he actually is the king. He didn't pull rank. You're going to find that out because he's a humble guy. He's going to trust God completely, take care of all the details. So now I go from shepherd boy to harp player. That's my role, God. Yeah, yeah that, that's your role right now. And, and honestly, we may not see it, but God sets up his kids well for life and ministry. And it usually involves service. I look back in the opportunities over a lot of years serving. Not always with the best attitude. Not always with the greatest motivation. But you know, I saw God prepare me. I saw God prepare me for what I was going to do in eighth grade. I I saw God do it as a freshman. I saw the different experiences that God gave me. And I'm overwhelmed by his grace at this moment. I said, thank you, Lord. You taught me, and I didn't even know it. You see, one of the things David did learn is that serving was a big deal. It was. In fact, I don't know if you remember, but in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is just about to be um, uh, taken to the cross, very late in ministry. And his disciples, it's kind of hilarious and sad all at the same time. But his disciples are arguing, hey, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And Jesus sits them all down, Luke 22. And he says, hey, I I just want you to know this. He says, you know, in our culture, the greatest are the people who sit around the table, not the servants. But in the kingdom, my kingdom, I want you to know, you know who the greatest are? Are those who serve. Those who meet other people's needs. In fact, the way I put it, in his kingdom, servants rock. They rock. And I want to encourage you, just in life, when you see a need, help. When you hear of a need, make a difference. You can make a kingdom impact wherever you go. Now, as we continue this series. We're going to see how these lessons build upon each other. But we can learn some big lessons from both Saul and David today. Saul learned that life apart from God is not a good life. Wow. That could be someone who is part of God's family and choosing just not to obey But there might even be someone right here that isn't 
part of God's family and is wrestling and struggling and hoping to make sense of life and getting temporary highs from harp music. God says, I want to be part of your life. And I want to do life with you. And it makes all the difference in the world. We learn that David wasn't picked by God the way that most people pick leaders. David walked with God and listened to his voice. And I use the scripture, he was humble, contrite, and respected God's word. My question to you is, before I pray, do you know God? Do you know God? And if you do, are you spending time with God? Are you hearing his voice? Are you responding to what he is telling you to do? We can choose harp music, or we can choose the voice of the Almighty God. And may we, as a church, as a community, Continue to stay more connected, better connected with our God. As we listen, as we respond, and as we do the mission that God has given each one of us. I'd like you to bow your heads, if you would. I'd like you to spend just a moment praying, just quietly. No, nobody else, no one's looking, no one, but, but I just want you to bow your heads and I'd like you to pray privately. And, and I'd like you, if I could guide this, to encourage you to thank God for his grace and then respond to him in any way. I don't know what God is prompting you to do. I don't know where he's encouraging you to act. But in just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to continue our worship. But, but just before I pray, if, if there are parents who have kindergarten through second graders, after I pray, we need you to go get your kids. All right? That'll be important. And bring them in for the worship. They'll be ready for you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Let's just be quiet. Father, in some ways, this was a scary passage it it was also an encouraging passage but God Saul's behavior made us sad and to be honest I, I, I don't want to listen like Saul listened I I want to hear you and I want to respond to you wholeheartedly 
I know you love me, and I know you want what's best for me, and I know you understand. So I pray, God, I I pray my faith increases. I pray our faith increases. I also know, God, that you take runts, runts who have a heart for you and do some amazing things. God, would you continue to develop a submissive, loving heart for you, not only in me, but in every one of us. We are grateful. We love you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.